0: All right, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ruth, chapter 3. I'm going to read this first. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor, But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry... He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made me this lie down until the morning. So she laid his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother in law She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. All right. So, back in December, we talked about mentoring, and we used certain excerpts uh, from the book of Ruth to teach on that. If you remember that series, we called Ruth fat, right? Like not physically fat, but faithful, available, and teachable. And and that ties directly into the whole mentoring aspect. But during the sermon prep that week, um, I was asked, uh, and I was asked afterwards at group, hey, what's the significance of two of these verses found in today's reading?" Right? Like, 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 why in the world is she to lay at his feet and uncover his feet? What's that mean? Is that some cultural deal? And so, as promised, I told you then that I would look into this, I would study this, and I would share it with you. So, verse 4, chapter 3. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. I've studied this. I've read several commentators on this. I, I, it, it's it's nothing. Here's the deal: most marriages uh, they, they were arranged, okay. And there's not a protocol in there's not there's not a protocol in place. There's not there's not customs in place for females making the move to get the attention of the male, right? I mean, like like there's customs for everything, but the with the with the marriages being arranged, my family talks to your family, we negotiate, and it's a done deal. But, Naomi's a widow. Ruth's a widow. She's a foreigner. There's not a custom for this. And so, what's taking place here, this is simply a very subtle tactic for getting his attention when he is sleeping and not causing a scene. The threshing floor, it's a, it's a public place. Okay. The idea here is that, hey, Boaz is our kinsman redeemer. Which in the old Jewish law, it was, hey, if there's a a female and she's a widow, the next man in line is the one that is responsible uh, to to marry any unwed females, right? Ruth is a foreigner. She comes in as Naomi's daughter-in-law, and she needs to get his attention without causing a scene. Now, there's a relationship already. You know that from reading Ruth chapter 1, Ruth chapter 2, okay? But here's the thing. This has to be done in a public setting. Because if it's done in private, you know what people are going to do. They're going to talk. And rumors are going to rumors are going to start spreading about Boaz and Ruth and the private meeting and everything. So it has to be done in a public setting, but it also has to be done in a place where Ruth is not going to draw attention to it because she's the one initiating this this potential relationship. And so Naomi says, hey, when he falls asleep, go uncover his feet. All right, apparently it's cool. Feet are going to get cold. What's he going to do? He's going to be startled. And what happens when he wakes up? Lo and behold, there's a woman at my feet. All right. and what does it say? He's going to tell you what to do. Now, I take issue with that because I'll show you something in just a second. He will tell you what to do. Now, the laying at the feet, this is a sign of submission. And and, and so that's, that's what Ruth did. And sure enough, he woke up, his feet were cold, there's a woman at my feet, and he says in verse 9, Who are you? And she said, I am Ruth, your servant. Now, Naomi said, Ruth, go down there, do this, and he'll tell you what to do like, all right, I'll do that. I would like to point out in verse 9 that he says, who are you? And Ruth, it's me, Ruth, your servant. And then she tells him what to do. Just point it out. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So this was the other thing that was kind of like, what's this, what's this all about? Now, the NIV, the NLT, they say spread the corner of your covering or garment over me. She's cold. Okay? She, she, she's cold. But here's the interesting thing about the language used in this, in this verse. Okay? The same language for, uh, that's used here, spread your garment over me, spread your wing over me. This is uh, the language used for protection. And here's the thing. It's the same thing, believe it or not, that Boaz said to Ruth the chapter before. It's not going to come up on the screen, but chapter 2, verse 12, if you're looking. This is Boaz talking to Ruth in the field. He says, "...May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done." So he's already said to her in the field, Hey, you, you have come here from a foreign land to take refuge, and it's under the wings of God and His protection." That you are here. And now Ruth is coming and she is saying to him very subtly, Spread your wings over me. Let you, Boaz, be my protector. Cool. So that's a cool gesture from Ruth. All right, that has nothing to do with the sermon. Okay. That's just some fun facts, I promise you. Today, becoming like Jesus. And we're looking at the characteristics of Jesus. We're looking at the ones that um, he has that are lived out in other Bible stories. And so that is why we did read about Naomi and Ruth. Okay? Because there's a a lesson here about intentionality that Naomi lives out. And so we we talk about this, this intentionality. It's a characteristic of Jesus that is rarely discussed. As a matter of fact, growing up in church, I don't think I've ever heard anyone else describe Jesus as intentional. I I can't remember that. And it was only until I started studying and paying attention to the method of Jesus, the the how he did ministry, that I started to see that Jesus was very intentional with his ministry. Before, I always was, was raised and even trained to just look at the message. And, and, and to parse and to exegete the words that came across and to figure them out and then interpret those and give those into in sermons. I've never been taught before in any class, any formal class, hey, look at how Jesus did ministry. We always looked at what He said. But there's value in looking at how He did the things He did. And when you do that, you will see that intentionality is woven throughout the ministry, throughout the life of Jesus, if you know what you're looking for. So that we're all on the same page when we talk about intentionality. And I remember having a conversation one time uh, with with Billy Bryant, one of the elders, uh, one of the previous elders of LifeBridge uh, about this. We kind of weren't seeing eye to eye. So just so we're on the same page, intentionality, the word intentional, it means this right here. Um, something done on purpose or deliberate. Like, like that's what it means. It's real simple. And I think everybody gets that. Okay? So when we talk about this, it's something done on purpose. Like, I'm going to do this for a reason. It's going to be deliberate. Now, when we speak of intentionality being a characteristic of Jesus, we are saying that he was intentional with his followers. He was intentional in relationship and the people that he had a relationship with Does that makes sense to you that's where we're talking about the intentionality i don't think jesus walked around with a day planner and, and you're all right from from nine to nine to ten you know i'm gonna we'll do my quiet time and from ten to all that kind of worked out we're talking about intentionality within the day-to-day relationships that he had so we'll get back to jesus in a minute Our story today is the perfect example of someone who was intentional in the life of someone else. Get the big picture of Ruth and Naomi. Ruth meets Naomi when Naomi and her husband move off to a foreign land. They get married. Everybody dies. I'll say that in a second. Naomi's going to go back to her family. And Ruth's like, I'm in. I'm with you. Naomi's like, nope, stay here, stay here with your people. And she's like, oh, no, 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 no. Naomi, your God, your people, they're my God, and they're my people. And so Naomi and Ruth moved back to Naomi's homeland, and they lived there for a period of time. Chapter one, chapter two gets into the details of we got to survive. We're two women in this world. We've got to go out there, and we've got to work, and we've got to do these things. And Ruth's like, I'm going to take care of you. I'm, I'm here. I'm the daughter. I, I'm going to go do this. And so. Uh, that's what she does, and, and Naomi gets to this point where she has Ruth's best interest at heart. Naomi knows from her own life experience, man, this is what Ruth needs. Ruth is young. Ruth needs to find a family, and she needs to start this household, and she needs to, she needs to live her life. And so Naomi uses her wisdom to coach Ruth on the steps to take to get married to Boaz. Naomi's like, hey, I know how to pick up a man. Let me tell you how it's done. Babe. starts with that. Get all dolled up. You're going to go down there to the club threshing floor, okay, and wait until it's dark, wait until he's been eating a while, wait until he starts to drink a little bit, and when he lies down, that's when you make your move. I mean, think about it. When he falls asleep, this is when you act, okay? And so that's what she tells him to do. And Ruth is like, okay, I see the plan. I'll do it. But here's the thing we got to know about Ruth. Ruth is content with living and serving with her mother-in-law. She's not seeking this out for herself. She's like, hey, Naomi, you're my mother-in-law. I will stay here and I will take care of you. Ruth is content with that, but Naomi is like, No, I I know what you need. You think you know what you need, and you think you know what your desire is. As an older female, I know what you need. This is a great opportunity. Okay, just for me to put this little plug in there. Daughters, listen to your moms. They know. Or not hadn't been that long ago, they were your age. I know some of you are like, Oh no, it's been a while. Trust me, it wasn't that long ago. So, Naomi knows from her own life experience, she knows the needs of Ruth. And, and here's the thing when we talk about intentionality, we've got to brag on Naomi for a second. Notice the maturity that she is demonstrating here. I mean, she has a daughter-in-law who loves her so much, the daughter has given up her previous life. She's followed her from a foreign country to live with and to take care of Naomi. Naomi's got, like, the perfect daughter-in-law. Like, I mean, this lady left everything to come and be with me, to serve me, to take care of me so that I will not live a lonely life. Naomi knows what's best for Ruth. And with Naomi going down this path and being intentional, she has to make a sacrifice. She has to make the sacrifice because she will lose Ruth to her fu- husband's family. Are they going to see each other? Absolutely. Are they going to be in the community? Yes. When she has kids, is she going to be able to come and hold them? Absolutely. All that's going to get to take place. But now, now, Ruth is no longer part of Naomi's household. Ruth is going to be now, whoever the suitor is, and it happens to be Boaz. And here's the thing we need to know. Intentionality in relationships does not happen without sacrifice. And it's Naomi's intentionality that changes the trajectory of Ruth's life. And that's a big deal. Like We need to realize this today. When we are intentional in the lives of others, church we will have to make some sacrifices. I, I promise you that. But here's the thing. If everybody's on the same page that, that Ruth is on, if they're faithful, if they're available, and they're teachable, you change the outcome of their life. And as parents, you get this. You're intentional with your, with your children. Healthy parenting is all about intentionality. You push them in school to be the best student they can be. Just because one child is one thing doesn't mean that the second one's going to be the same thing, and you're going to treat them differently. You you, you push them, uh, you encourage them to in extracurricular activities to develop discipline, to be involved with different things. You warn them from making bad choices. I noticed I started talking about parenting. My son left. As they get older, you assist them in in thinking through options for life. And here's the thing, and this is true, you've lived this. Our intentionality changes as our children get older, and and part of being intentional is giving our children freedom to use the gifts and abilities that they have been blessed with. We are very familiar with being intentional. But now what we're saying, we're saying we need to start focusing that intentionality into relationships where we are helping people grow in their faith. Because discipleship, discipleship is a lot like parenting. And it requires intentionality. As a matter of fact, if you take our 201 class, our our discipleship training class, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to look at the characteristics of parents and parenting, and we're going to look at at, at the characteristics of kids and where they are, and then we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna draw a line, we're going we're gonna to bridge that gap of here's the physical spiritual child and here's the physical real child and where they are in life. And we're going to make the comparisons to that. Discipleship is just like parenting and it requires intentionality. And for some people, this comes natural. Some people have no problem being intentional with others. My personality type is to have a plan and to execute the plan. Hey, I get a strong sense of accomplishment when this happens. I I look at my calendar several times a day. I plan out serving prep and when I'm going to do this. I plan out my reading. I plan out when I'm going to do my soaps. I plan out my off time with my family. I plan out meals. I plan out planning sessions to make plans. My Sunday afternoon is planned out. My personality is to be intentional in just about everything I do. I know that there are going to be two conversations that I have with each of my children this week that have been on my mind and things that I'm praying about. I, I, intentionality is just woven into the innate. I haven't always done it well. I'm still learning. But then we have those whose personality is, man, let me just go with the flow. Now I'm going to wake up, and I'm going to try to get fed uh, and dressed and to work on time, and I'm just kind of a fly by the seat of my pants. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with those types of people. Just don't tune me out, though. just because intentionality isn't in your DNA, you're just, don't, don't say like, well, this isn't for me. I'm, I'm okay. Because when we, again, I, this is intentional too. When we speak of being intentional, we are talking about being intentional in relationships. Jesus' ministry was centered around two things. The sacrifice for all of humanity. That's part one. Part two, his ministry was about training up people who would train up people to carry out the mission of Jesus. And this part of his ministry wasn't going to happen without intentionality. And I know this, one of the largest areas of growth in my life as a husband, because I husband different than I did five years ago, as a father, as a pastor, have happened. Because I am learning to be intentional. And I'm still learning to be intentional as Jesus was. So there's two verses, and we're almost done. There's two verses that I want to share with you that have encouraged this learned trait in my life, and I hope it does with you too. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, verses 15 and 17. I love this. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do one of them we'll come back to it colossians 4 5 and 6 live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone so paul's writing these letters to these churches okay they're christians they're believers they're growing in their faith what does he mean when he says make the most of every opportunity well here's the deal Right? We can't live our lives as followers of Jesus just willy-nilly. That, that's the real phrase. Okay? We, we cannot live our lives as Jesus apathetically. I, I'm just going to kind of come and go. I'm going I'm to make some kind of half-hearted commitment to Jesus, and He's going to be there when I need Him. I, I'll make sure I go to church most Sundays. We, we cannot live as dedicated followers with that mindset. Our lives are short. And the Bible's very clear. It's nothing but a vapor. I mean, some of you, you your, your vapor is a little bit longer right now than, than the rest of us. But at the end of the day, when you look at the grand scheme of things, our life on this earth is extremely short. And in greater context of what Paul is saying in both of these letters, our lives are not even about us. They're not. Our lives are not about us. The moment we said, Jesus, I ask you to be the Lord of my life, we've surrendered that. It, it's not about me anymore. It's not about my priorities. It's not about you know what I want and how I want it. We've, we've got a life and we've been given all kinds of talent and blessings and gifts. We're to manage those. Certainly, but we are to live and be kingdom-minded. We're to live a completely surrendered life to Jesus. And so he's telling those believers, hey, don't live as foolish people. Don't live that you think you've got just all the time in the world to get things in order with God. Make the most of everything. Opportunity. And I'll tell you right now. Man, I've I've got years. I've got years of wasted opportunity in my life as a minister. Years. Serving myself. Doing what's best for me. Striving to put me first. Overlooking opportunities. You may not be as reckless and and as bad as I am, but I'm willing to bet that there's seasons of your life where you have missed opportunities as well. And here's the thing, intentionality, church, is difficult. I've got a little part-time job, y'all know that? Working with... Ephraim, who has a relationship with this building at least. Our church supports his dad's ministry, the Hispanic ministry that meets in Huntsville. And I get to hang out with Ephraim 10 to 20 hours a week, depending on the week. And it's just been the two of us that have a lot of outstanding conversations. Talk about life. He's the same age as me. Talk about our kids. All that's well and good. Talk about our faith. I love it. Ephraim, went off and hired another guy. And this guy happens to be 24 years old. And he is a know-it-all. And he likes to talk. And I'm like, oh, this is just what I need in my life. A know-it-all. And he says some of the most random, bizarre things. And I'm just like, oh, this kind of stuff just gets underneath my skin. And you know what I do? Take my noise canceling headphones and I put them in and I listen to sermons about loving other people well. That's what I do. I, I listen to John chapter 1 over and over again on repeat. I listen to Philippians, the book, over and over on repeat just because this guy gets on my nerves. And God is like, Michael. Make the most of every opportunity. And I hate when God's right and I'm wrong, and it makes me feel uncomfortable. And so I'm working on it. I'm taking them out. How can I start with this kid? Hey, mom Gabrielle. You want to go to lunch with us? Yeah, let's go to lunch. So he goes to lunch with us. Buy his lunch, he gets his food. The sucker's just chowing down, and I'm like, "Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray for our meal." And as I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. As I'm praying, this is the first time we went out to eat together. As I'm praying, he's sitting there slurping <laughs> on his drink while I'm thanking God, God for the food, and and so I said, "Hey," I said, "Do you have a faith in in God?" He goes, "Yeah, I mean I know God's there." I said, oh, "Okay." Um, and, and I start having this conversation. And, and and I said, Did you understand why I prayed? And he's like, Well, I don't really understand why you prayed, because really and truly Ephraim's the one that paid you uh, from working and he, he's the one that has given you the opportunity to buy to buy lunch for us, uh, and not really God. And, and and so you know what? I mean, dude dude's straight lost. Right? I, I mean, right now, based on everything that we know in Scripture, if he were to if he were to die, based on everything that I know of this kid. He's not going to be spending eternity in heaven. And what am I doing? He's annoying me, so I'm going to listen to my sermons about how to love other people. I'm going to tune them out. We're to make the most of every opportunity. And Naomi's sitting here with Ruth, and it's like, you've got some, some cred in this town. The opportunity is now to get you married. And Jesus, here's the cool thing, Jesus was the master at making the most of every opportunity. I could go on for an hour talking about different stories, the feeding of the 5,000, the sending them into the storm, the, the, the trips to, to, to Samaria. I mean, we could talk on and on and on about how Jesus made the most of every opportunity because he is the king of being intentional with other people. Did you read John 1 as part of your soap this week? I mean, this isn't coming up on the screen, but Jesus' ministry, as I said already, it's about two things. Dying on the cross and choosing men to follow Him so they can train up people who can train up people to carry out His mission. And John chapter 1 gives us a glimpse into part of the story of calling these first men. And some of John the Baptist's disciples, right, he came to prepare the way. He's got his own disciples. And he's got some of these guys that are going to eventually leave him and go be with Jesus. And some of John's uh, disciples, John the Baptist, not John the author, they ask Jesus, they see him, John's like, hey, behold, the Lamb of God. And they ask him, where are you staying? I'm going back to my mom's house tonight. Uh, This guy named Lazarus, he invited me over to crash at his place tonight. No. That's a Michael answer. That's what I would have done. I would have missed the opportunity. What'd Jesus say? What's he want? He wants followers. So what's he do? Oh, you want to know where I'm staying tonight? Come and see. Come and see. And who is it that followed? Andrew. And whose brother is Andrew? Jesus makes the most of every opportunity. So the question for us: How do how do we develop Christ-like intentionality in my life? I mean, you you can Google how to be intentional, and I'm telling you right now, you'll find list after list after list after list. And 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 I'm I'm just like, no. How do we do this in relationships? How, how, for you and I. And, and I'm going to go ahead and assume. Okay, so it's not coming up on the screen, but I'm going to go ahead and assume. Uh, Because we're talking about building intentionality in relationships. One, that you already have a relationship with somebody in your world, a co-worker, a neighbor, a child, somebody. And and I'm going to go ahead and assume that you're going to start praying over this relationship and intentionality. All right? So how do I be intentional? It's really, truly, it's it's complicated, but the process is simple. Number one, you keep the main thing the main thing. Jesus was always on mission. Right? I I mean, he, he didn't wander from why he was here. The mission is to do two things. I'm going to die on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, and I'm going to train up men to carry out my mission of making disciples of me, Jesus, who will make disciples of me, Jesus. Like, that's his mission and he kept it the main thing Ruth and Naomi they didn't wander all over the place what's the main thing we got to get you married we 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 didn't like you know go to farmers only we didn't we didn't we didn't get real complicated with our process you've got a relationship with this man right here Boaz he happens to be part of our kinsman redeemer clan hey We're going to work the process. The main thing is this. You have a relationship here. Let's go with it. We, you and I, have this command of Jesus to make disciples, who make disciples. We have this journey of becoming like Jesus that we are on. Church, that is the main thing for you and I. It's just to grow in my faith. And, And so I'm going to be intentional with other people. I'm going to help them Stay focused on Jesus. It, it, it really is, is that short. The second thing is you've got to meet them where they are. You've you, you got to, what, what do they need? That's a great question. You, you're sitting there and you, you have this relationship with somebody. What do they need to grow in their faith? What do they need to, to mature, to become like Jesus? You can identify a couple of things and then you can work towards that. They have no idea how to study the Bible. Oh, well, I know a great thing that we can do. I can sit down and show you how to do this SOAP Bible study method. It's super simple. Let me me show you how to study the Bible in this method. What, what, What do they need? They don't know how to pray. Oh, well, invite them into the room and let them watch you pray. What what is it that they need? Naomi did this with Ruth. She knew her needs. She needs a husband. And she was willing to do what she needed to do, to be intentional. And here's the thing. Like like this is the this is the beautiful thing about intentionality. It has Changing their life. Because of Naomi's intentionality with Ruth, we're talking about her today. There's nothing really significant about the story of, of Ruth. You get God's provision, I get understand that there's, there's so much there. But, but Ruth, the person, there's, there's not a whole lot there. But we know about her. You want to know why we know about her? Because of Naomi's intentionality and what that led to. I mean, Ruth is one of four women mentioned in the lineage of Jesus. She's the great-grandmother to the eventual king, David. We talk about Ruth today because of Naomi's willingness to be intentional. You can change the outcome of someone's life. And we are intentional in the lives of others. When We are Helping them along their faith journey. When we keep the main thing, the main thing for them. When we help focus on them, when we meet their needs. You can have a hand in changing lives. Who do you need to be intentional with? I I love the saying, I read this a long time ago. And it actually has changed. How I view ministry. More intentional time with fewer people leads to greater kingdom impact. And I believe that wholeheartedly. More intentional time with fewer people. For me, it starts in my house, it it starts with the people that are going to come to 189 Mesa Verde and eat lunch. It starts there. And, and then it's going gonna, it's gonna to branch out to the people who are going to come over to my house for, for life group tonight and the people whose who's house I'm going to be in Tuesday night. And then and it starts with this relationship right here. It, it's only a few people. So that's the way Jesus did it. Turn the world upside down. More intentional time of fewer people will have a greater kingdom who are your few people. Hey God, thank you. Thank you for the example of Naomi and Ruth. Changed her life. She came under the protection of of Boaz and ultimately you. It's all because Naomi used the wisdom and the life experience, the need that, that what she had she knew that Ruth needed, and she was willing to make the sacrifice to do it. And so, God, I, I pray that we can keep it that simple, that, that there are people in our lives who, who are floundering in their faith. We have people in our lives who don't even have a faith with you. Father, I pray that we can carry the same conviction that I personally carry about making the most of every opportunity. We don't have a lot of time on this earth. And and Father, I pray that, that we don't waste time focused on us and serving ourselves. God, it doesn't matter if we're students. It doesn't matter if we're retired. It doesn't matter if we're working the nine to five. Lord, I pray that we can make the most of every opportunity and they're there. May we make the most of every opportunity in our homes. May we make the most of every opportunity with people that you put in our path at work. God, and we'll see, as everybody does their part, we'll see life change. And God, we praise you for that. Amen.